You sending the wolf? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss me? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I have a great episode for you today. I am very excited to dig in. This is probably going to be a little bit of a controversial episode, which I don't really know if it necessarily should be. But, um, you know, we we're having a conversation about Batman. And my guest today is Jeff Tate. Uh, so if you are a fan of uh, Doug Loves Movies, like like I am. You've definitely heard Jeff Tate on the pod. And um, I met Jeff in person actually a couple of months ago, back in December, when uh, he and I and a handful of folks did night one of Doug Loves Movies, uh, 12 Guests of Christmas in Los Angeles. And um, and it was so much fun to finally meet him. I not only, you know, am sometimes a guest on Doug Loves Movies, but I I, um, I, I listen to the show and I love the show and I'm a fan. And um, Jeff, uh, Jeff and I, so Doug made a joke um, during the show about anyone on, on our panel who was there, any, any of the guests, if they wanted to be a guest on my podcast. And of course, nobody said that they did. Um, and that was the joke. And because Sarah Silverman and Zach Galifianakis and John Hamm were also on our panel, so they weren't lining up to do my podcast. Fair enough. But actually, there are a ton of comedians on that panel who, who I would love to have on the show. And Jeff, um, actually said to me, I would love to do your show. And I was like, Oh my God, I would love to have you on my show. And so, so a joke actually turned into, um, to, to Jeff coming on the show and he picked Tim Burton's Batman, the 89 Batman. So this is a bigger, this is a conversation absolutely about Tim Burton's 89 Batman, but it is also a bigger conversation about Batman as he is depicted on the big screen. And we're not getting into those, you know, first four Batman movies, the the Tim Burton. OK, so not including the Joel Schumacher one. Or, I'm, wow. Misspeaking. OK, see, th- I'm going to stop right there. This is a good example of how this episode is going to go, because we're trying to be as clear as possible talking about many different films that kind of all have the same name. Um but what I was trying to say is this is a this is an episode that is absolutely focused on the first Tim Burton 89 Batman. But it is also a bigger conversation about how the two Tim Burton Batman movies and the two Joel Mocker. Wow. Joel Schumacher movies and the three Christopher Nolan movies um, all sort of live in the same world and how the fandom has increased or decreased, how it's become more mainstream or less mainstream, how 
you know, they compare to one another. What is Burton's uh, Burton's vision versus Nolan's vision? Or, you know, um, how time has changed how we perceive these characters. Um, and, you know, it's a conversation about fandom in general, about not only about our superhero movies and about the DC comics and about Batman, but about Star Wars or about other things that, that we, you know, we as nerds take really seriously. Um, and so I, I think we have a lot of, um, we were, it's, it's not an episode filled with hot takes. Um, but it is an episode that is filled with maybe the less conventional wisdom that you are used to hearing when it comes to these movies. And actually, uh, you know, so I say this in every episode or, or sometimes it makes it to air and sometimes it doesn't, but I encourage my guests when they pick a movie, cause oftentimes they pick movies that they love or they pick movies that they are their face or their, their, um, they're big fans of. And um, they've seen it a million times. And I always try and encourage my guests to revisit the movie before they've they come on my show. Because inevitably, when you think you know a movie, you remember it in a certain way. But then when you sit down and you actually sit down with the, with the intention of watching the movie um, that you think you know with maybe a more analytical eye, oftentimes you see things that maybe you didn't notice before. And I would encourage you, if you are a big fan of these superhero films and the these the Batman films specifically, I would encourage you to, to actually sit down and, and re-watch them again. Um, even if you know that you love The Dark Knight the best and the most of all, like fair, fine, totally. But you know, Going back and rewatching these movies um, and seeing how I remembered them versus how they actually were and how much I was able to separate the two, knowing my passion for them, it was a really cool exercise. And um, and so yeah, this is this this is an episode that might prove to be controversial. It might prove to to get me in trouble. I, I don't know. Um, when I say in trouble, I mean you know fans fans are fans. I'm a fan. I know I know how I am and I know how we can be. Um, but but I think that this is a very respectful and thoughtful conversation about movies that mean a lot to both Jeff and myself. And if you don't already follow Jeff Tate on Twitter, can't recommend it enough. He is at Jeff Tate 96 and Jeff is G E O F F. Um, he is a comedian. He has an album out. He is on the road often. He's on Doug loves movies often. So, um, definitely if you haven't already dig into him because he's not only a sweet human being in person and a wealth of movie knowledge, but he is very funny. Um, so, all right, that's going to do it. Here is Jeff Tate and I talking about Tim Burton's Batman. Press record, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, oh man, it's a. How are you liking our sunny LA weather? By the it's way, it's fine. Yeah. It, I mean, LA in the rain, everyone freaks out, and it's. it's I think it's a. Uh, I mean, it never happens. I feel lucky. Yes, it. You you came on on. I wonder what the percentage is of like days that this is. It's got to be a narrow margin of days to visit when it's actually cold and rainy. And I got two of them. I think you did. You sure did because this is not stopping. Um, One time I was here, it rained the whole time I was here. All really? five days. Yeah. So this is your fault, is what you're saying? Yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> No, it's my. You should thank me because you're on fire. It's true. It's <laughs> yeah. true. And now I should have, come here more often. You sh you should, uh, except before the fires start, because now we're gonna get all the mudslides. I didn't know. 
Yeah, well, it's all right. Next time. Next time. Um, Pre- so preventive. <laughs> preventative, exactly, yeah. measures. Do you think that you'd ever um, move to L.A.? Or are you kind I've of lived good? here twice. Oh, but, okay. Uh, I didn't. Uh, the first time was when I got divorced. And okay. the second time uh, I moved back to Cincinnati because my dad couldn't move around anymore. Got it. And uh, so I was there for a couple of years taking care of him. And now I just haven't mm-hmm. decided what to what to do next. Yeah. I mean, there's, I don't feel like there's a rush, right? You, it seems like you are getting out there and doing yeah. things. Uh, I mean, I'm doing what I, I'm doing what I like doing already yeah. for the most part. I mean, I would like to do more stuff. I would like to do more stuff. Yeah. Just but, in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, listen, but you think you'll have one more, at least one more Cincinnati winter ahead of you. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I'm staring down. The barrel of one. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is, I know, it's funny though, because everybody says, you know, like, uh, oh, everybody in LA freaks out. And we do. Um, but it is funny because there are, like, I just walked down the street to take a class and I wore my rain boots and the gals in the class were kind of like, uh, you know, oh, maybe I should get a pair. And my girlfriend, Emma, <laughs> pointed out that actually uh, there's no storm drains or there's like very few drains for the water to actually go. So the streets flood, like, all the time. Wow. It's it, it's just silly because you know we don't plan for it, and so now when it happens, it's like mm, no. Well. It was hard to get out of where I stay in Culver City. There was oh. a big, big, deep, like the like where all the cars were. It was like as wide as the cars. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah the cars were like up to the bottom, like. Of the car. You know what? I was when I was in Dallas this fall for for a shoot. Um, they got the heaviest rains they had had all year, yeah. and uh, cars were literally floating away. <laughs> I mean, because it was like they they are similar to Los Angeles, uh, are not prepared for like intense wet weather. That's bananas. Yes, it was bananas. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyhow, so I'm so glad that we we worked this out. We just did for our listeners. This is Jeff. I have Jeff Tate here, uh, <laughs> and um, I'll give you a proper introduction when I pre-record. That's very, that, that was proper enough. <laughs> that was proper enough. Uh, but um, so Jeff, we had only met very recently on Sunday night at Doug Loves Movies. Yeah. Um, have you ever done a show at Largo before? Just the ones with Doug. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I had never done one. It's fun, right? Uh, it's a cool place. It was. I have seen so uh, many shows at Largo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was the place. So I moved to LA ten years ago, and that was a place where um, all my favorite comedians, the Patton Oswalt's and Sarah Silverman's and Zach Galifianakis of the world, uh, who were uh, most yeah. two of the three were on the show on Sunday. But um, all my favorite comedians would play Largo the most frequently, yeah. and uh, so we would go there a lot, and it was very very cool. And so when we were standing on stage or backstage, about to go on. Uh, I I was um, oh my goodness I'm blanking on his name and he was so nice he's the gentleman who always brings the candy um, oh Sean George Sean yes yeah. yes <laughs> Sean kind of like turned to me and I never met Sean either and he was like this is pretty cool huh and I was like it, it is pretty cool actually yeah. so it was a it was a fun moment <laughs> backstage at Largo yeah which is very small smaller uh, than you think yes. for a place that all those people have been it's true. 
Yeah. It's true. Close quarters. Um, but so I I had first um, heard heard you on Doug Loves Movies many moons ago, um, and I enjoy all of the all of the jokes and the knowledge. So I'm so <laughs> glad that, to have you on the show. This is exciting for me. Well, I, I brought some of both. <laughs> some jokes and some knowledge. All jokes and knowledge. Uh, and um, I'm even more excited that you uh, selected Tim Burton's Batman to talk yeah. about. Oh, yeah. This is a big movie for me. Yeah? It's Oh, yeah. It's, um, well, let's talk about it. Why is this such it. a big movie for you? Well, because uh, I, some of my, so I've always been into movies since I can remember. Um, Wizard of Oz was probably like the big, the big one for yeah. conscious memory is Wizard of Oz. I've never seen it. Are you stop? No, I'm serious. Are I've never you really? Seen it there, there are hilarious, uh, like holes in the the things I've seen. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to see anything really growing up. So really, I, I like everything I saw when I was growing up, I either snuck or like I wasn't allowed to see Batman. Interesting. I didn't see Batman in the theater. Okay. I had to wait until. I just see it somewhere else. Uh, I've heard Robert Kirkman talk about his, uh, he has a similar story yeah. where he he wasn't allowed to watch any movies or TV until he was like out of the house essentially. Yeah, it was just stuff my dad liked. So it was like, some of it was good, like Fletch, and some of it wasn't, like Hoosiers. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all just those, like the five or six movies he liked. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my parents. Uh, my parents did, did. They liked movies, and they are. They still like movies, but um, you know, they were not like historical. And you know, like I've had some people on the show who love film, and and they talk about their parents. You know, sitting them down and explaining certain things. And and my dad certainly did that with a handful of movies, like Young Frankenstein and Princess Bride, and a bunch of stuff like that, where he would like yeah. show me. But it was never a deeper appreciation for film, if that makes sense. It was just like, I love movies. Here you go. You know? Yeah, here's one. Yeah. I was always told whether or not it was, uh, like, how it, how it, like, how it, I was told whether or not it, like, was okay according to the Bible. That was how they would tell me. Gotcha. About, like, the force and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Batman was on the no list. Yeah, they said that was going to be too dark. But I remember when it came out. I remember it came out. It was, uh, we were at something called the North American Christian Convention. Okay. In either Kansas City or Louisville. Because I remember, I just remember the, the cities we went to. But not the order. Mm -hmm. And two of my dad's, uh, like, friends, like, m other ministers were going to see Batman. And um, they were like, you guys should come and... The, the, we weren't allowed to go with them. They, my parents didn't want to go. Like they just said, it was going to be too dark. Mm -hmm. Like all the, the colors of the movie or sure. whatever were dark. Yeah. They had weird rules. I, I think they just didn't want to see it. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. Sometimes you get the, ex the, the there's an excuse and it's not it's not the real reason. But um, so when when did you first see Batman? I honestly don't know if it was in the. Th uh, I don't know. Okay. I know that I've I've seen it so many times. Probably probably not long after. Like that was a movie that everybody had and then it was on TV. Yeah, sure, sure. So it wasn't long before somebody I knew had access to it. Yeah. And I probably watched it as soon as I had a chance to watch it. I, I definitely, so this was for, I don't know the reason. I don't know why I was so young and my parents showed me this movie or I saw this movie. Probably because my parents 
liked movies and so yeah. they wanted to see a, you know they wanted to watch it or whatever but, but they were they were very strict on like the rating stuff with me I think it was because I was a scared like I got scared too easily and they were like we don't want to deal with this you are never allowed to see a rated R movie that might be part of it with me too yeah. really yeah did you get did you scare easily as a yeah, little yeah, kid I never saw uh any horror movies or anything until like I think Scream was the first horror movie I saw. That's another great one. That's yeah. one of my favorites. Do you? But you, you like? I mean, I know you love all film, but but do you you like genre films? You're a fan. Yeah, right? I watch. I watch them now. If I like, there's been a there's been kind of a lot lately. Yeah, that have been interesting and fun. But it it seems like it seems like horror is one where you can do more like con, like social commentary seems to come off in horror without. Probably because it can be a little more on the nose. Yeah. But in a kind of in a, a more entertaining way than totally. to what you know, like uh that movie that Ike Barinholtz movie, The Oath. Yes. Like that was I liked it. Uh-huh. But I don't think it did as good a job with what it tried to do than as just any of the Purge movies. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yes, I, I'm in the same boat. So I'm a huge horror fan, and um, and uh, and when I was in college and went to film, studied film, I did my focus was on political commentary and horror and sci-fi. So yeah. it's like, oh yeah, so oh, that's wow. like you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do agree. You know, it's funny because when it comes to straight dramas, I rarely choose to watch a straight drama um, right. as opposed to watching a genre film, whether it's horror or science fiction or even fantasy that is like dealing with whatever the topic is at hand. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like there's got to be a more fun way to watch the Gary Hart story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, well, Batman was one of those movies that I... Um, yeah, I don't know why I was able to see it so young, but I was, and I loved it. I mean, yeah, right I, that, I tell the story all the time. Well, not all the time, but on the uh, because I've been doing so much with DC lately, um, that Batman came to my fifth birthday party. What? I had a Batman really? birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. And um, my dad had his friend dress up as Batman and come to our my house for my birthday party. And, I mean, I was a... I mean, I grew up in the South and in the, in like the Orange County of the South, like the suburbs and, um, and, and, uh, I, we were all there and I mean, I, my mom dressed me like with the dresses and I had all the bows and all the things. And so we were all there and I'm there in my pretty little dress and Batman's here. And I'm like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> and, um, but it was so, and the other kids were terrified. They were not on board with Batman. But what's so funny is that the like. The other kids are right though. <laughs> they are. And I was just about to say it hasn't really dawned on me um, until I have started doing a lot of deep dives into DC comics, animation, uh, features, etc., where people reacting to Bruce when he is dressed as the bat and how that is so alarming, honestly, has never dawned on me. Because it, I guess because it's just always been a part of it. Yeah, he dresses up like a bat. Cool. That's because yeah, yeah. he's Batman. That's we what he does. We know him as Batman. We know he's good. That's they right. They wouldn't have named the movie Batman. Exactly. Like, we're, we're shown all the... All the different parts. Yes. That the the those townsfolk don't. What I mean, just as a as a as a person, is uh, like 
if Bruce Wayne is there, then you're probably at a party. But if Batman is there, then you're probably either In, like you're cleaning something up or something terrible is about to happen. Exactly. Danger is afoot. Yeah. It is Bruce not Bruce Wayne good... is who you want to party totally. with. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's been uh it's been really fun kind of rediscovering all of it. And um and uh I I do, but I I love looking back at this Batman movie, especially because of the Christopher Nolan films and now the Zack Snyder movies and um and seeing where Batman is going to go essentially. Oh, I, it's no, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere great yet. Yeah, I you know it's interesting because we talk about this sort of in fan culture all the time. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Like I am not I, I am not super well versed in in um, the the deep comic book lore, but I know the Batman ground rules. You know, Batman yeah. doesn't kill. He's the world's greatest detective, etc. Uh, etc. Et and I just feel like kind of similar, honestly, it's kind of similar to Superman. I feel like when it comes to the movies lately, people are interested in them for the, the different reasons, like not the reasons that they were created and not the, you know. I see what you're saying, but those movies aren't very good. So the totally. person who's making those movies is... I think I think everybody wants what you're talking about, yeah. and they're somehow not doing that. Yes, agreed. I well, I mean, and I like, if, they're not interested in making the real Batman. That's right, and I I think that there has to be an audience that is because I think with the Matt Reeves, I really hope Matt Reeves stays on the Batman um, because I think that Matt Reeves is is a such a good filmmaker. Um, oh yeah, it, I do. The guy that's making the next one. Yeah, allegedly. Who's gonna be the next Batman? Well, we don't know. Hopefully they realize that it's not about Batman, it's about Bruce Wayne. And yes. so they get a good Bruce Wayne. I think that's the idea. I think that's the idea behind his take on it is that maybe it's an... Well, see, at first I think they said that the Batman was supposed to be an older Batman, um, kind of training Night, Nightwing or, or training a protege. But now I'm, I'm under the impression that, that, that it's, they want a young Bruce Wayne. So, I don't know. Either way. Yeah. It's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. John Hamm should do it. <laughs> and the, we have a lot of his autographs, too, so he yeah. should definitely do there, it. He signed everything. He did sign everything. <laughs> well, so that's okay. Okay, I'm glad you bring up the Bruce Wayne of it all because, hello, that's very important. Um, let's talk about <laughs> Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. That's why I think I like that one the best. I, I, I agree. He's easily the best. He's the most fun Bruce Wayne. Yes. Uh but without like he's it's not like it's not it's not like he's not Batman. Like he's still you can see that he's sad about his parents and that he's it's stunted his maturity or whatever. But yeah. uh Christopher the Christopher Nolan ones, the Christian Bale ones, he seems it's more like that narcissistic, like American psycho yeah. Christian Bale who's like instead of being a bad murderer, he's a good uh, Batman. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I. So I recently, um, Batman Day is in September. I want to say it's like an, un, one of those silly unofficial holidays. I think it's when maybe the first comic was published, but they call it, you know, it's Batman Day. So I rewatched both Batman Begins and uh, The Dark Knight. Yeah. And I've always been a Batman Begins fan more so actually than Dark Knight. Wow. Um, I, I really love Batman Begins, and what I found interesting about that is seeing how 
they really lay the groundwork in Batman Begins um, for as authentic of a Bruce Wayne and Batman as you can get. But I think what happened was the popularity sort of kind uh, maybe maybe confused what they were trying to do and what they started in the first movie because like you know the the tales of vengeance and and uh um like everybody talks about dark knight but for me batman begins when bruce is is gonna go murder the guy who killed his parents and he throws the gun away and he's like okay i don't fuck guns i'm not gonna do this anymore and and you know he seems to really be struggling with the class issues of of gotham especially as a super rich guy and as a weirdo like a secret weirdo (laughs) you know and so i did feel like it was a great start but I agree, by the time we get to the Dark Knight and we get to Dark Knight Rises, and Dark Knight Rises is just, to me, not not my favorite, um, <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly. But, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's more of the Playboy, like, Hollywood and, and American Psycho kind of weirdo as opposed to the other. Yeah, he just wasn't as a... Uh, he's just not as entertaining. Like, he's a good actor. Yeah, yeah. But he's not... But if, like, if the thing he's acting like isn't inherently entertaining then he's not he's not inherently entertaining right but michael keaton when he goes you want to get nuts come on yeah yeah that's yeah. the best batman line that's the so best good. thing batman ever said and he wasn't even batman yeah it's true well i think what we're seeing um and i don't know very much about christopher nolan as a as a man but um but i think that Tim Burton being the person to bring this to the big screen in such a way. I, when I was rewatching it yesterday, it really stood out to me. And this is not a secret. I mean, they've talked about everybody's talked about this a lot. But Tim Burton as feeling like a weirdo inside his own body, but being in this big Hollywood space. It's like I feel like the director when he identifies with the duality and feeling misplaced, which Tim Burton has talked about his whole life, growing up in Burbank and being this like weird kid in this glossy perfect city um you know that is a great pairing so michael (laughs) keaton so we like him as batman yeah um let's i also want to kind of talk about uh the i want to talk about the score a little bit are you like into scores at all i don't know uh i mean i one of the things i like about the movie is that they have the same prints yeah. Oh, yeah. But I don't know about the score well, necessarily. So Danny Elfman. Do, yeah. Like if you were playing it right now, I would know it was Batman. And that's sort of what I'm getting at because I'm not a I am not a movie scores aficionado at all. I I know like three composers and I'm like I don't know who did that. I know John Williams does all Steven Spielberg stuff. Yeah. And I know that Danny Elfman does most of Tim Burton stuff. And I know that Hans Zimmer is a person. Hans so. Zimmer does the. Like if you've seen something in a submarine, that was probably sure. Him. Great, great. Yes, yeah. that's a good way to think about it. I'm guessing. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> um, but I think I just feel like Danny Elfman's score for this movie is so big and iconic. But also in those little moments with the with the little silly, um, like in those little moments with the Joker when it's not Prince's music. Right. Um, there, there's just some really fun little riffs. Uh, and so there is an element for a visually dark, um, and even story-wise, there's a lot of dark stuff in this movie, but the score keeps it really light and fun, but also big, and, and it's just like one of those iconic... Well, who did the score for the Dark Knight and stuff? Hans Zimmer. Oh, uh, really? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's what he missed. 
Like he missed that part. The, like the little. Like the, I think that's that's exact. Like all of that stuff is probably exactly why I and and maybe we like that Batman the best because mm-hmm. it's it is dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a comic book. Yeah. So it doesn't have to really be dark. Yeah. Like, and Christopher Nolan went for it to be really dark. Yes. And I would say, too, that, again, this is why I kind of go back to Batman Begins, because there's some fun, there are some legit funny lines in Batman Begins. Now, it's not a hilarious movie by any means, but, like, they're there. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I think, so here's what's interesting, to me at least. Um, The Batman, the Batman on screen lore post- Batman Returns, like Batman, wait a second, Batman Returns and Batman and Robin, the two Joel Schumacher films, um, made Batman silly in the eyes of a lot of moviegoers. Kind of harken back to that like 1960s, like Adam West Batman, right? Yeah. So I think that a lot of comic book, when geek culture was not what it is today, which it wasn't always. Uh, you know, people were embarrassed. Like, oh, you read comic books. Oh, you like Star Wars. Like, whatever. Now they're the biggest thing ever. But I say that to say that I think that fans sort of got very protective over Batman and over Superman after seeing some sort of goofy things that audiences were able to make fun of, if that makes sense. Right. And so for me, Christopher Nolan coming in and doing the quote fingers, like gritty, grounded Batman is sort of this like overcorrection to the Joel Schumacher, we just want to sell toys kind of thing. Yeah, that was, uh, the, the yeah, you're probably, yeah, that makes sense, I you guess. Know? They I went know. too far with it. Yeah, maybe. They I, went too, uh, they went too serious. Why? Why so serious? <laughs> why so serious, Christopher Nolan? And I mean, Batman he wrote fans? it, right? He uh, wrote the line. Why so serious? Oh yeah, I'm sure he did. I mean, unless it was oh, well, it's probably a comic. Do you think that's actually now my knucklehead is showing? But I should look it up if if no, that's you showed it. it a minute ago <laughs> when you said Joel Schumacher directed Batman Returns. <laughs> Oh, I meant Batman Forever. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. That you said Batman just... Returns of Batman Forever. The, like, I just want to say it so you don't get a million emails. No, no, no. That's good. I just misspoke. So obviously Batman and Batman Returns are Burton, and then yeah. Forever and Batman and Robin are Sch- Schumacher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just didn't want you to get the emails. No. Like, you got people loaded up. People are halfway through writing the email right now, and they're Stop deleting everyone. it all. everyone. Yeah. Save it, they know, save it in your drafts. You pedantic. <laughs> but I do, I am curious, uh, I, I would be curious to know, and I, I can look it up later, it's not important for our, for our conversation, but if Why So Serious is a, is in line that the Joker has, you know, I famously said in the books versus... That would be uh, interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, I bet, I have to say, I have to think it was written by Christopher Nolan simply because... Jack Nicholson didn't say it. Mm, that's a good point. If it was from a comic book, if it if it existed before any of these movies, they should have had Jack Nicholson. Yeah, say that's it. a good point. That's a good point. Well, he was up. saying a lot more of those one-linery. So many. Let's okay. So now that now that we've gotten the score out of the way, let's. <laughs> that, yeah, Jack Nicholson. I mean, are you a big Jack Nicholson fan, or or is it just like yeah, he's a guy who's a great actor? No, it, I mean it. Uh, I would say probably both. Okay. To both. Like, there are some Jack Nicholson movies I like a lot. Okay. Uh, but I don't, I think it's been, I don't know, most of them are just not enough fun. Yeah. 
to go out of my way for. Sure, that's fair. There's some downers in there. Yeah. Um, well, so with um, with him as the Joker, I, you know, that was such a that was such a big deal for him to play that role. But one thing that I do love about it, even to this day, is watching him appear to have a lot of fun doing yeah. it and go on to work with Tim Burton again, essentially, in uh, well, definitely Mars Attacks, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was pretty quick. Yeah, he shows up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I, really, I really enjoy his, his Joker. Do you have any feelings about it? Strong feelings? I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. I sometimes wonder if they thought about they should make him listen to Prince because he wore a purple suit. <laughs> right. I like how he had a purple suit, purple and green, the cars were purple and green, yeah. but everything else in Gotham was like black and white. Yes. Except yes. the Joker. Like maybe that's what my parents were concerned about. Oh, the bad the, guys had the nice clothes, the cooler, cool. like they stood out more. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a, an interesting point. The idea that bright, fun colors are associated with the bad, the criminals and the yeah. villains as opposed to the heroes. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, like there's probably a chance the, uh, We've all missed whatever the point's supposed to be. That's, that's <laughs> like, there's true. probably like the guy who thought it up was was like, I was trying to say something about 1940s Cleveland. <laughs> well, I do know that. I mean, certainly the Joker traditionally had dressed in those sorts of bright colors in yeah. the, in the comics, but yeah, making the choice on screen for him to leap out in such a way is uh, intentional. It has to be. Yeah, and then to think. Well, what would he listen to and then think, well, Prince also likes purple. So let's have him listen to Prince. Yeah, that is such a, you know, that is such an interesting, it's Prince's contribution is clearly there throughout the whole movie. But to me, again, it was always something that was overshadowed by Danny Elfman's score, you know, because yeah. it's so, to me, that score is so impressive. It didn't really, uh, it always felt a like, kind of off yeah but in a tim burton movie that doesn't mean that doesn't mean it uh, feels wrong right <laughs> it just seemed because there's those there's like what there's like basically two two big scenes with prince songs yes when he messes up the, the museum, museum and the parade the parade yep and both of those songs are cool sure yeah I and could... he's doing ridiculous stuff and the money has a picture of the Joker on it. If I mean, I had to. I didn't know that for a long time. I, I wonder if. Uh, well, clear. Then that makes the people of Gotham pretty unintelligent if they are killing each other over fake money. Well, yeah, they're dumb. They're so dumb. A guy had to become a bat. Right. To fix their town. <laughs> okay, Gotham in this movie is super. Weird looking. Yeah. Uh, I know, uh, like understatement. Sure, it's Gotham. It's supposed to be scary. I get it, but it's it's it doesn't look like anything. The the, the buildings are just bizarre. They don't yeah. look right, um, and that's that's always something that's been kind of. I get it. It's very Tim Burton. It's it's like his aesthetic. But when you go to like Batman Returns, that Gotham to me looks less dated in a way. In Batman Returns? Yes. Yeah? Like, for me, so when you compare the two, for me, Batman Returns is uh, more timeless than Batman because Batman is so entrenched in 80s pop art 
culture. Whereas Batman Returns to me feels like, I mean, I know they're both made on, they're both sets, it's all sets, but like, yeah, I don't know. To me, to me, Gotham and Batman Returns, and maybe it's also because we're dealing with the shopping malls, we're dealing with like the town square in Batman Returns, you know? Yeah. So it's the more commercial area, Yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that might be right. It just, it Batman, even though I love it, it's a part of my cinematic DNA. Um, it looks dated to me in the aesthetic. Whereas Batman Returns, which is also a big part of my childhood, does not look dated to me in its aesthetic. That is, uh, I didn't really notice a difference. And that's interesting. But, but you're, I mean, it was because uh, like Batman Returns came out in like 92, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like, it's kind of like a, is it, do you think it's timeless because it looks the same, but it had no touchstone to pop culture? Maybe. At the time, like, because Batman Returns was a big movie, but. It just because it like it, it felt like Batman again, and then there's that like wasteland bef- between like I Batman and like Jurassic Park, yeah. where there wasn't a huge movie yeah. or anything. Like nobody, nobody. Uh, like Kindergarten Cop was in the theater for like a year, but uh-huh. nobody cares about it now. Yeah, I think it's more that. Um- so when we see Jack Napier's apartment, you know, it's so Art Deco. It's brassy. It's like yeah. the the lines are, <laughs> you know, it's so... And when we see Vicky's apartment, Vicky's apartment feels very 80s to me. Um, like what, what a... What a a uh, person who likes art in the 80s would be like, oh, this is so, like, this is edgy and cutting edge and cool. Right, right. Whereas when we see Selena Kyle's apartment in Batman Returns, it's obviously a mess and it's supposed to look like a cat lady's apartment. But still, it, it looks like you could walk into the stereotypical cat lady's apartment today and it would look like Selena Kyle's apartment. You yeah. know, or you walk into Max Shrek's office in Batman Returns, it looks like an office, but you walk into uh, Grissom's office in Batman, Jack Palance's office, right. and it's like super 80s looking <laughs> to me. So it's just more like that kind of stuff, if that makes sense. I mean, I get I see what you're saying. You're right. That is that is true. I mean, it's just a good thing they never showed you Vicky's apartment in Batman Returns. Right, because what would it look like? It probably looked the same as it did in Batman. Yeah, and she'd be out It'd of... be dumb. You know what, though? <laughs> so so when I... I, I know, this is not a Batman Returns podcast, but I did just rewatch it as well. And um, they talk a lot about Vicky in Batman yeah. Returns. Yes, they do. And did they try to get her back or something and she didn't do it? I don't know if they actively tried because, well, I mean, if you're going to have Catwoman... Bruce and Selena have a romantic relationship, so I guess it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have Vicky there too, you know. I guess unless you want to really make a, a triangle, love triangle. They would have them both there now. They're bro- oh my god! If they just teamed up, and we're like, see ya. <laughs> that, that's the movie I want to see. Uh, but um, <laughs> but yeah, so but they do talk about Vicky, and they also talk about in uh, in Forever. Uh, they talk about Catwoman. Which wow. is just so there's an active like you know they they're referencing the women of the previous films, which is funny to me because I don't feel like we see that as often nowadays in no. our superhero films. Well, in our superhero films now, there's nothing like that. Yeah, like there's no men and women stuff at all. Right. It's like there was like 
I guess Iron Man and Gwyneth Paltrow were gonna were an item. Yeah. But they must not have done like it must not have been a big part of any of the movies because I don't remember I've seen them all and I don't remember it. Yeah, there's like an engagement plot, side plot, motivating plot at the beginning of Civil War. Uh, Tony's trying to propose to her or something, and th- but but you're right, it's never been at the forefront yeah, it, of any it of the stories. To proposal, yeah, from whatever she shows up like every now and again, and she's like, oh. You know, Tony, well, since we haven't been dating lately, and it's like, okay. and Or, you know, it's so, like, obvious yeah. what they're doing. Um, Captain America's girlfriend was, like, 100 years old. Yeah, so that was never going to work. That was never going to work. The Hulk is, has anger problems. Right. Him and that was another, like, kind of out of nowhere, at least for me, him being in love with Black Widow yeah. and them having that relationship. I was like, where did this come from? I, it was very, that was very weird to me. I mean, I don't read the comics, but. I didn't see it coming through any of the other movies. That's exa- I mean, yeah, and I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, if you're watching a series of movies, it's you got to earn it in the movie, you know. Like yeah. it does. I don't care what's going on in the comics if you don't if you don't earn <laughs> right. this in the movies, it doesn't count, you know. Um, but yeah, I guess in the Batman movies, they they did bring Rachel, the character of Rachel, back. Oh, I'm sorry, the um, Chris Nolan Batman movies. Yeah. Rachel is in one and two, uh, but then they obviously got rid of her pretty quick. They switched people too. They sure did. For having this, for being the same character, they still switched people. Yeah, they did, and Weird. and then they just killed her, which was like cool. I mean, I mean, if you're gonna do that, do that in the first one. Yeah, why waste our time? Why yeah. recast Maggie? Why cast Maggie Gyllenhaal only to murder her? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, Katie, what do you don't have? You don't have faith in Katie Holmes' death scenes. I mean, she's a talented enough lady, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it's a Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and then shoehorning in. Well, this is not a, this is not a Dark Knight Rises podcast either. But oh, but okay, but wait, this is this is actually a good way to talk about it. And oh no, well we're talking about Batman, so never mind. I was gonna say it was the Catwoman again. It right? was, and I just am not a fan. But this one is the Anne Hathaway one is like not a mess. She's like a cat burglar. Right, something. right. She is. I. They have, as far as I'm concerned, meaning um, Pat. I almost said Patrick Bateman. That's a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. Uh, Christian Bale and Anne Hathaway have, to me, no chemistry. None. Like, none. It was, and and when Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer have such insane chemistry, it's just like, what is happening? Yeah, why I, we- <laughs> Like, why, why are we even doing this? Like, what is the point? And then Goofy... Marion Cotillard shows up, and I don't know what's going on there. I don't like Dirt Night Rises. No? It's, I saw it once. Yeah, it, it doesn't hold up as far as I'm concerned. I've, I saw all the Nolan movies only once. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So they just didn't resonate with you, or do you are you the type of person that only sees movies once? No, I watch them all the time, but they're not... Like, a movie's got to be... To watch it again, it's got to be more fun than those movies are. Agree. I mean, that's fair. And uh, like I watched the first, like the opening, the bank robbery sequence yeah. of The Dark Knight was the best part of any of those movies, yeah. I thought. And there's no Batman in it at all. That's true. That's very, very true. Maybe I don't like Batman. Oh, maybe. But you do like Batman. Do like you Batman. like Michael Keaton as Batman. I like I like, uh, I like like Bruce Wayne and Gotham City. No, sure. I like Batman, too. So 
Sorry, go ahead. No, I don't. I, I definitely like Batman as a character. Is uh, So is Keaton your favorite Batman? Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, by not even not even close. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I've never seen Batman and Robin all oh. the way through. Yeah, I've never seen it all the way through either. Uh, I've seen Batman Forever enough, like maybe twice. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just once. I don't remember anything about it. Except to know that I've seen it. It's a kid's movie in a yeah. lot of ways. It's the one with the uh, the Jim Carrey yep. and Tommy Lee Jones. That's right. That is a real, that's a casting that is very of its time. Oh, yes. Yeah, although I will say I thoroughly enjoy Jim Carrey as Edward Nygma and as the Riddler. Uh, both, I, they were lucky. Yeah, But absolutely. that was definitely, like, Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey were both real hot. So you know what's funny about that is uh, I want to, no, Men in Black is 97, I want to say. But I listened to a podcast one time with, uh, I'm going to look it up just to be sure. But uh, yeah, 97, and I want to make sure I get it right because it's Sonnenfeld, Barry Sonnenfeld. So I listened to a podcast with him one time talking about directing Tommy Lee Jones and how Tommy Lee Jones like wanted to always take the comedy bigger. and yeah. And basically he had to be like, no, 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 you're the straight man. Like, it's going to be really funny when you are just completely deadpan. Trust me, like, it's going to be hilarious. And he he wanted to, like, you know, swing for the fences. So when I was re-watching Batman Forever, he, Tommy Lee Jones is, like, turned up to 11. Yeah. It's so over the top. There is no... and. Even so, so I want to. The comparison is basically, I understand that with Batman Forever, the studio and Joel Schumacher wanted to make a, a toy commercial essentially, which is fine. Um, but Jim Carrey, at the very least, finds little moments of nuance and like of of showing us when he's Edward Nigma, when he's this, when he's big, when he's small. Um, Tommy Lee Jones does no such thing. <laughs> like he just is playing this truly like a cartoon character, which is fascinating when you hear behind the scenes stories of how he, Tommy Lee Jones was fucking miserable on that set. And I was like, well, nobody asked you to do it like this. Or maybe yeah. Joel Schumacher did. I don't know, but. Well, Joel Schumacher has never made any missteps, so I have to assume. Sure. <laughs> solid, solid directorial choices across the board. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Batman, <laughs> the Batman on film legacy is definitely is definitely an interesting one. But OK, here's my last question for you about about Batman 89. Um, when it comes to one villain, we we rarely see this anymore. Like. Where it's Batman and it's the Joker, and that's the end of the conflict, right? Whereas in in subsequent films, there's always at least two. Even in um, uh, what's it's uh, Batman Begins, you could argue Scarecrow is like the main villain, but there are also mob bosses and there's Ra's al Ghul. So like, there's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. Um, and the so Dark on. Knight had the Two Face again, mm -hmm. and the Joker. Right. Oh, yeah. That's the. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one had Bane and uh, whoever the script had the script. Yeah. That was a pretty villainous. Wait. <laughs> uh, no, but yes, Take you're, it out. you're right. That was good. No, we're leaving <laughs> it in. We're leaving it in. Um, but no, you're right. It was Bane. It was Catwoman. It was 
Marion Cotillard, whatever her character is. Oh yeah, is Catwoman a villain? It, like I always felt like even in those, even in Batman Returns, it, it felt like she could kind of go either way. In Batman, depending on yeah. where her where her interests lie. I I would I would say that with respect to Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman and Anne Hathaway's Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman teams up with um, the Penguin to take out Batman. So she and the Penguin are working side by side, essentially, to right. accomplish accomplish a goal together. In uh, in Batman. No, I'm sorry. The Dark Knight Rises, which is the Anne Hathaway one. It's a lot of na- words yeah. here. Um, <laughs> she, you're right. She, I think that assessment is right. Like she's more, I'm a cat burglar. I want to fuck his shit up because I don't like him and he's stopping me from stealing diamonds. But she, as far as I remember, isn't like, hey, Bane, what up? Like, let's, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? So. Right. That one was a tough one for me because I wasn't, like until he started killing people, I didn't really think Bane was that wrong. Totally. I kind of was on his side. Like, he's not, like, he kind of makes a few good points. Oh, totally. I mean, that's the thing that is such a, to me, is such a disappointment and a shortcoming of Dark Knight Rises is it's a mess. Like, it, and, <laughs> and when you, st- I mean, I got to get on my little, like, soapbox for a second, but when you. Please do. From it's the, fun. <laughs> well, from the, from Batman Begins, which really is, I mean, I can't emphasize enough how shocked I was when I really went back and rewatched it and, like, watched it all the way through. It is a movie about class. It is a movie about Gotham, the the less fortunate being ruined, being torn apart by the the class, you know, um, discrepancy in Gotham City. It's a populist film. It's about giving power back to the people. Um, Whereas by the time we get to Dark Knight Rises, I think that Bane's sort of motivations tie into a little what they were trying to establish with Batman Begins, but you have this whole middle movie that is a total distraction from any sort of relevance, if that makes sense, to that like populist message. So it's a fucking mess. And it, and it's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't, you can't tie this movie in from a decade ago with something you barely emphasize. You know what I mean? I, it was, I, it, like maybe Heath Ledger was just too good as the Joker. Like if that Joker was just like, even if it was just Jack Nicholson's Joker, then you would remember, like I would remember more of The Dark Knight. Yeah. And less of just The Joker. Like that movie might as well, should have been called The Joker. Yeah. No, it's true. And and also to your point, like this is not, a, not any sort of negative commentary on Aaron Eckhart, but like his Harvey Two-Face makes no sense and is also not compelling. And that is, I think, a screenwriting issue, but it's also a casting issue. They they should not have yeah. cast Aaron Eckhart in that role. That That's silly. He's not very, uh, he doesn't have the... Like the thing with Christian Bale, how if it's if the material's not entertaining, he's not inherently entertaining. Yeah. Like if Eckhart doesn't have good stuff, then he's a he's a blank slate. I tell you this, I would have liked to see Christian Bale as Two Face. Oh. That that to me is interesting. Oh. <laughs> hmm. I mean, like that that I could see that being a weird, nuanced performance of two different types of people like really at war with themselves whereas yeah Aaron Eckhart's just like I don't know um but you did say something else before I before we wrap things up that reminded me so the whole deal with like Batman and the Joker is um 
allegedly that they're two sides of the same coin, right? They're, they they need each other. And that's, mm. that's kind of the lore in the comics as well. But they have the conversation in Burton's Batman, 89 Batman, like, you made me, but I made you, but you made me first. Like, they're always yeah. going to do this dance, right? So for me, for my money, the matchup between Nicholson and Keaton is so good those two actors together. I know everybody looks at Ledger's dark, um, Joker and and kind of is like this is the greatest thing ever. But where do you, how do you feel about Keaton and and Nicholson the Keaton and Nicholson pairing and the um, Bale and uh, Ledger pairing? Well, I think that the first one, the Keaton and Nicholson one, is more. Like that felt like a matchup. Yes. That felt like this this guy versus that guy. And and even like in the movie, this guy versus that guy, this actor versus that actor, but also that, you know, this character versus that character. Bruce Wayne versus Jack Navier, the Joker versus Batman. Right. Any combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh those like that felt like a matchup, whereas in the Dark Knight it was just the Joker was just Destroying Gotham and Batman was trying to catch trying to catch up to him. Sure, yeah. It didn't really feel like a matchup. There yeah. was, like, there was a scene I guess in the jail or whatever mm-hmm. when they talked to each other. But he was still Batman. Like when Bruce when Bruce Wayne is at Vicky Vale's apartment and the Joker shows up, that is the first time where you see that this, like like he's crazy. Yeah. The bat like Batman is crazy. Yes. He's Michael Bruce Bruce Wayne is out of his mind. Yeah. He puts a <laughs> uh, like a tray yeah. under his shirt that's not even that big. He just hopes that he shoots him in the heart. Mm-hmm. And then a fireplace poker. Yeah, he's ready. He's ready to take on all those goons. It's true. And the rest of the like the rest of the Bruce Waynes uh, don't really do that. They always like oh, I gotta go. Let me go change. <laughs> Let me go get bulletproof real right. quick. Let me like I like that a lot more. Like. And there was more like detective work. Yeah. In that one, he had to figure out why everyone's face was freezing up, and right. They didn't show him doing that, but they told us he did at least. Mm-hmm. In the other one, there's just a lot of car chases and a lot of, well, this is happening here, so you can get there in time. Yeah. To stop it, it didn't really seem like, like for the for being for being written and created as the world's greatest detective, he doesn't do. Hardly any detective work. Yeah, in the in the Nolan trilogy. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I agree. He pay he but he pays people to do the do the investigating and to well. In I guess I'm overgeneralizing, but I feel like Batman assembles a team. I'm sorry. In the Nolan trilogy, I feel like Bruce Wayne assembles a team of people who are really good at a lot of stuff. Yeah. And he's like, he's kind of like a CEO in that way. Right. Like, you okay. report back to me with your findings, and then I'm going to go out there and do all this. Right. Right. So that's a Mission Impossible movie. Exactly. Whereas yeah. in, in 89 Batman, you know, when, when Bruce sees the news report that all these people are, are getting sick and they're dying and they're collapsing, whatever, he says to Alfred, let's go shopping. Like, we're yeah. going to go buy all this shit and we're going to, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, we don't see that scene, but he makes a reference to it like we're going right? to investigate. We see the beginning and the end of it. Right. Like we see him go, we let's go shopping. And then we see the end of it. We go, we have this list of don't do this and this and this and this. Uh, I thought it was, uh, there's a couple of like, 
just thinking of like in that one, there is only Batman and Alfred. Yes. There is no Lucius or whatever right. Michael Caine. Well, Michael Caine is Alfred in that. He one. is. Yeah, yeah he's well, Alfred. Yeah. Well, he's got no he's like Wayne Company or whatever. Right. Dad doesn't come up. In the Michael Keaton ones. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, he's not going to the office. He has a car that like you might be able to get then. Right. And a real dumb uh, airplane thing. Yeah. But a Batman thing. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. But not. But the stuff they have now is just. So he's the army? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So Batman bought the ar- all the army's cars and just keeps them at work. Yeah. And I did. I think the only real problem I have with that first Batman is when it, when Alfred brings Vicky into the Batcave. Right. Yes. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? You know people aren't allowed in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. There's the, there's only the two of us here. You should know the only rule. Yeah. Or maybe he didn't even make it a rule because he never thought anybody would be there. Whoa. And then the first time somebody was like, where's Bruce? He's like, bye, he's in the cave. And you're like, it's supposed to be a secret? <laughs> That's a this conversation that conversation between Bruce and uh, and Alfred I I would like yeah okay Alfred ground rules here right? we go they should have like as soon as she shows up like have a little scene where Bruce Wayne like Michael Keaton like pulls him to the side listen Alfred this is okay this time <laughs> but, but for real in the future let's try not to just show people the Batcave so. I think that Tim Burton got your notes because uh, in rewatching Batman Returns, he does say, Bruce says to Alfred, like, or like that time you showed Vicki Vale into the Batcave. I'm sitting there and he literally says, I'm sitting there working. I turn around. She's there. I go, hi, Vic. How are you? How did you get in here? And so, so clearly this concern made its way somewhere because it is literally written into the script. In the second movie. And it could have been so much. Like, there's always just an easier way to do it where you don't just have him say, wait right here. And then he goes to find right. him and she just follows him. Right. Or she like. It, she breaks the rules. She's, he, a, yeah, she's a journalist. Her, yeah. She's like trying to. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or a photojournalist. But yeah. yeah. But still, she's, she's always on the lookout for the truth. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> And That's she right. looks around the guy's house and then boom, accidentally, like, where'd you get here? Like, I don't know. I was all, I was walking. And then the, it turned out the room I was right. in was an elevator. Yes. That would have made a lot more. Other than, rather than just Alfred being like, oh, right this way. <laughs> Come on in. This is uh, our cave? Yeah. You know, it's like a half half cave. It is a half cave. It's a, you know. Um, all right. <laughs> well, okay. So this, so, but, um, before I ask you the final question, is there anything else Batman related you want to say? I don't think so. Okay. So, um, and if you, if you don't have anything prepared for this, that's totally fine. But I, I ask everybody, you can add a movie to the list that's not on the list. Oh, um, yeah. do you have any, do you have one? Well, I thought about it a lot. Okay. Because my actual, like. My favorite movie is The Big Lebowski. Okay. But I'm sure that since you do a podcast about movies in L.A., you get a lot of dudes who say that already. You're the first one. Okay, well. <laughs> but now I want to know what your second one is. The second one was Midnight Run. Okay. I think that for, at least for the AFI's top 100 quotes. Uh-huh. Like, how do you have four from one movie and not one from Midnight Run. This is I I could not agree more. Like the, How is I got two words for you. Shut the fuck up. Not one of the 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there there are some. I will say that with respect to the quotes list, um, they should not have doubled up on movies like meaning yeah. yeah like that's ridiculous you only have a hundred slots like and there are so many ferris bueller is not on the there is no line from a ferris bueller movie that's on the quotes list like that doesn't make any sense but at least there's ferris bueller's is on one of the lists true you're right for something you're right you're right like the big lebowski isn't on any of the lists and i understand like i understand why first of all nobody saw it in the theater <laughs> secondly it's about a bunch of dumb stoners and nobody cares but uh, I couldn't believe that, like, because I like I read all, all like detective books, mm-hmm. and how like it's the big sleep, yeah. Just essentially, only the difference is the dude didn't know he was in a mystery. Right. They set it up so that like, what if Philip Marlowe solved all of this on accident? Right. And there's like even de- like there's a fake kidnapping and a smut peddler, like all like these things all happen in the big sleep. It's very it was very entertaining when I. Uh, when I saw it and I saw like the link up plus, uh, right. I mean, come on. It's, uh, it's a good movie. It's funny. Big Lebowski. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And it's become, um, it's become a modern classic. I would argue. I mean, you're right. It didn't do well in the theaters, but what Coen brothers movie aside from before what no country or do they have commercial, like commercially successful, you know, right out of the gate. Like, I mean, now, no. yeah. So, I mean, was Raising Arizona popular? I mean, I feel like Raising Arizona was a cult favorite and I feel yeah. like it got great review, good reviews critically, but I don't think people saw it when it came out. Well, it, ba- it boggles my mind because there's like Fargo is on the list yes. for top 100 comedies. Yeah. And it's like Fargo's a lot of things, but I don't ever, I never thought it was funny. Yeah. Like it makes me laugh, but I never thought of it as funny. Yeah. Like it should be on the top 100 movies for sure. Sure. And if it was on that list and The Big Lebowski wasn't, I wouldn't be concerned about it at all. But it's like putting, putting Fargo on the top 100 comedies is like putting it on the top 100 quotes. Like quote it. Right. Right now, quote it. Quote something from Fargo. A wood chipper. Do they even say anything about a wood chipper? Or do they just show a wood chipper? I feel like they say something. I feel like there is a quote about it. Step away from the chipper or or something? Or like, you know, like uh, something like that. But I, yeah, I couldn't couldn't quote it directly to you. Yeah, right? No. But if you wanted to quote the Big Lebowski, you like. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you have the same problem of not. Chavez and. Yeah, yeah. all of that. My favorite line right now is when, all right, dude's car got a little dinged up. (laughs) There's always like these little. I notice different things every time the way it goes from scene to scene, and he's like learning things. Yeah. And then he says them the next, like in the next scene or two scenes later. I find that. just fascinating like really hilarious like well done uh script writing those cohen brothers they're on to something yeah you know they've got about a 70 percent success rate (laughs) i guess which is pretty good yes christopher nolan is way lower than that you think so i think you don't get credit for a movie no matter how good it is if it doesn't really end Mm. so memento and inception don't get to count because uh, you left out the last five seconds of the movie. Right, right. <laughs> it's a pretty long movie to leave five seconds out of. Yeah, I think the Nolan fan, the Nolan fan culture is a, is an odd one. You know, this this it, it's such an interesting. I hope one day, and I know this sounds dumb, but I hope one day that like 
film, uh, somebody, a film scholar somewhere will write a academic paper, do some real, like, thought-provoking analysis on the fan culture around needing Christopher Nolan to be the best director <laughs> of his generation. I do not under, and, and also, side note, I'm sorry, his best movie, I would say, is The Prestige. I, and yeah. nobody talks about The Prestige. I love The Prestige. Yeah. Nobody talks about it. I also um, think- um, There was two magician movies that year. I know, The Illusionist, which I still haven't seen. So weird. Yes. How that happens they're from try- time to time. They're trying to make magicians happen. But there was this, there was that summer where there were two volcanoes and yep. the one where there were two asteroids. Yep. and it's it's weird that there was two old timey magician movies. Yeah, huh. but one of them had David Bowie. So which one? Uh, the Prestige. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, I I probably knew that he played Tesla, right? Yes. Okay, so yeah, so Prestige is the one I've seen. Yes, that's a good one. The Illusionist, I have not seen. I haven't seen The Illusionist either, but I am curious about it. I thought that was the one Christopher Nolan directed. No. You don't like following? That's not your favorite one? I've, I've never, never watched admittedly, it. Admittedly, I've not watched it's it. Been, if it's if it never leaves Hulu, <laughs> I'm a little suspect on how good it is. Yeah, that's fair. They should take it away from time to time just to make you think people might like it. Right. <laughs> I yeah, that's actually a good that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, if it's always on Hulu, we've got we've got an issue on quality, probably. Yeah. 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 I can see that. All right. I think that uh I like the Big Lebowski is the one I would add. It's a great it's a good mystery. It's uh I mean it, it's it spawned a whole thing. It it's also I also think that like that the Big Lebowski is the last movie, I think, to be sort of created. Its reputation has been created by the internet. Mm, interesting. And so now there's like now people have strong opinions about it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. There's like backlash and like it's weird to have backlash to a movie that no one saw. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but now I think, like, everybody that liked it, it's, uh, like, okay, you know how everybody likes The Princess Bride now? Yes. Everybody yes. says, that was my favorite movie when I was growing right. up. Right. They're all fucking lying. That's right. That's They're, right. What they've done is they've the people whose favorite movie it was wrote about it. Yep. On the internet. That's right. And then everybody else read that, and they think, yes, that was my favorite movie, too. And that pisses me off, because if it was everybody's favorite movie... I should have been cooler. That's I agreed one thousand percent. You are a hundred percent right. And and I, I, Princess Bride was one of those movies that my dad showed. I grew up and like I remember one of my best friends uh, showing her the Princess Bride and she didn't like it. And I remember being like, huh, you know. And uh, yeah, it was like this. It really was. But but that's what's so interesting about the home video. Like same with Labyrinth. I'm wearing my little eight bit Labyrinth sweater. And oh, yeah. uh, and uh, and. Uh, Princess Bride both were home video phenomenons, right? They grew in reputation on home video, but you're absolutely right. Like the internet, the internet said. Yeah, it's created a revisionist history yes, that this stuff right. is this stuff was cool to everybody. And it did that, like that's one of the things that I think is happening with these Star Wars movies now is that yeah, Star Wars and Empire and Jedi were huge at the time. But they weren't this big. Like, it wasn't this. Right. It didn't seem like it was this absurd. Yeah. everything was that. Well, and I think that fan culture. Yeah, like, 
this is a whole other thing that I would love to get into with somebody someday, but the idea that these were huge movies, like these were the original trilogy of Star Wars global phenomenons, like they were lines around the block, because also admittedly, like they only showed in X amount of theaters at a given time and all of that stuff. But the and there were like there were toys eventually uh there and there were supplemental marketing so i have talked to people and i can't remember who i was talking to but they pointed out like this isn't some niche thing that only you were into when you were like the 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 notion that of the of the Star Wars nerd being this like isolated small group of people when these are huge blockbusters and they right, sort right. of always have been, you know? Right. Um, I think the question is how seriously they are being taken and the, uh, the fandoms that take them seriously. I, and, I mean, I think you're right. People now, do take things too seriously. Oh, now. absolutely. And now Star Wars is for everyone. Yeah. So that's, I think, the big the big pushback between like the internet and certain fan culture and how they embrace the new Star Wars movie and movies and then just regular people who are like, yeah, these are movies that come out every other year and I watch them. Yeah. When I, but when I was in high school, like this was years after the Star Wars movies, came out but also years before the next Star Wars movies came out I don't think like I don't remember people liking it like I remember wearing like oh, mm-hmm. Star Wars shirts to school and being kind of bullied yeah like at five like when I was five years old every five year old liked it but to still but to still have to like it beyond being a kid the, or even beyond the movie like Got beyond it. the release of the movie was not the way like being a Star Wars fan was it wasn't like as isolated as as right like you you're right it, they were huge movies but not necessarily to people my age sure that's a good point that's a distinction people were distinction people that were older than me loved it because like if you were like eight or ten or whatever when Star Wars came out right I was five when Jedi came out so I saw. Jedi when I was five that was like to put the so I wasn't born yet then I was a baby then I saw then Jedi was the first one I saw in the theater and but then after that like everybody just moved on and yeah so like in 1990 everybody was fans of whatever Batman probably sure and I hadn't got to it yet so I was still the Star Wars guy and then everybody stopped like to to like it enough for it to be something that you cared about like on your own yeah, time. Yeah. That didn't seem like something that happened then. And now looking like the way it's written about has created this idea that that was what people did then. Sure. And boy, it wasn't. Yeah. Right. You try reading a star Wars book in 1994 at my high school. Totally. It's not fun. Yeah. 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 That's a good, that's a good point. That's a good point for sure. And I think the the internet has done that with a lot. And I think the like Princess Bride is one. And I think the Big Lebowski is is one that like that like because everybody that liked it got was cool and mm-hmm. then grew up to be like doing something cool. They yeah. they write about it as like a time like a time stamp in yeah. their life and everyone is like, Oh, I remember that. I loved it. But you I mean you didn't. Right. Like it it played for two weeks. And uh yeah, nobody. I I remember I I, sh- I told my friend to watch it, and he said uh, he said he he hated it so much that I wasn't allowed to recommend movies to him anymore. 
which made me decide, well, we probably just shouldn't be friends. Yeah, we shouldn't be friends anymore. Like, let's not, let's not waste yeah. any of our time. That's like, a good, that's a good litmus test. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great addition to this list. Excellent. I think you, you, you've done it. You've done a great job. Um, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Uh, just, I'm, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for doing this and making time. This is a treat for me for sure. So I really appreciate it. it. All right, my friend. Um, and I'll tell the people where they can find you on the internet, which I'm sure they will want to. Uh, but thank you. Thank you. Alrighty, friends, that's going to do it for me today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jeff Tate, um, diving into fandoms of all kinds, including our beloved superhero and Batman fandoms. Um, we have, I have more with my conversation with Jeff Tate um, on Patreon coming this Thursday. So if you haven't already checked that out, it's uh, patreon.com slash Clark Wolf. And um, those, those episodes, those mini episodes, which come out every week are, um, are available to five dollar and higher monthly subscribers so for five bucks a month you get um four new episodes of sending the wolf or amas or or stuff like that um every week so give it a look if you haven't already it's a great way to support the show and um but another great way to support the show is just to subscribe share share on social you know rate and review all of those things thank you all so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this conversation and i will see you next time (laughs) 